0: As a church, we, in our teaching and in our series, and what we might do in our connect groups, is we, 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 we want everything in our Christian lives to be alive. Yeah. Okay? So we'll go visit the field of faith and we'll dig it over and stir it up and make sure it's healthy. And, and we'll, we then we'll go visit the field of relationships and we'll dig that over. And we'll talk about connect groups and life in circles and friendship and forgiveness and parenting and all this kind of stuff. Um, we'll visit fields from time to time and we'll dig them over together. Why? Because we want every area in our holistic Christian life to be alive. That's what we're here to do. We go and we dig the field of healing and miracles and signs and wonders until we go there's life in that field that looks like the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. Amen. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go visit a field that we don't visit too often. It's the field of money and finance and wealth and debt and possessions. <laughs> Thanks mum. And that wasn't even a joke. (laughs) You know, there are over 500 verses about prayer in the Bible. There are almost 500 verses on faith. There are over 2000 about money. It's a huge subject and who knows, it's an important subject. We kind of don't touch it because as Brits, we're a bit twitchy about it. But, you know, I like doing twitchy stuff. So let's all twitch together. right? I'll have you twitching by the end if, uh, if I'm any good. I don't know. Maybe we think it's a private thing. But that, that's very cultural, that the fact that money is a private thing. Maybe we think it's a dirty thing. What's the most misquoted verse in the Bible? Money is the root of all evil. Did I get it right? No, no I got it wrong. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, but the Bible has lots to say about money. Maybe we think it's a dangerous thing. Now there, you'd be right. Yeah. Finance is part of the fact that it's written about so much is not that God doesn't want you to have stuff. But he, what he would say is, but there is a dangerous side to it. It's like you want your children to grow up and drive a car. But at the same time as being good to them, you know you're giving them something that's dangerous too. So it's a blessing, but it's something you have to be wise about to handle it well. Um, so we're going to look at it. Maybe we think it's unspiritual. Maybe we think it's American. Lay your hand on the screen. Get out your credit card in Jesus' name. But actually, without getting into any daft areas, I want us to look biblically at wealth. Is that okay? Turn to the person next to you say, this is for you. Maybe we think of it a little bit like, healing you know sometimes when you teach on healing uh people want to go stick their fingers in the air and go la 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 well, what i mean by that is we don't want to think that we have a responsibility involvement here yeah it's just it, life would be easier would it not if it was just k sirrah, sirrah, what he wills he wills whatever happens must have been the will of god but the bible doesn't teach that right. um cynicism can sound intelligent but be deeply stupid and what we must get our opinions around is how God thinks. Because he doesn't think like a Brit. Sorry Africans, he doesn't think like an African either. <laughs> he doesn't even think like a Welshman. Which I would have thought he did because the Bible was written in Welsh after all. But... So God has has uh, approaches and thoughts about finances, and I don't want us to dig that field over. Okay, and we're going to do it for a few weeks. I'm not going to cover it all today. In fact, I'm going to do the really twitchy end of stuff today. I'm going to ask questions like, God, does God want you to be wealthy? It's hard to even say that in a British church and not feel a bit weird. Does God want you to be wealthy? What does the Bible, you don't have to answer, yeah, that's it, well let's go home now then, you finish the talk, you've all said yes, we're all right. Um, uh, We're going to go through some scriptures, one of those where I'm going to let the Bible preach itself to you, is that okay this morning? So there's going to be a lot of scriptures up behind me that we're going to read, because I want you to hear the voice of the Bible. Yeah. Not just the opinion of Jared. Because oh, I'm working through this stuff. This isn't a specialist subject for me. I'm working through it like all of you are. So I'm trying to get my head and my heart around how does God think. So let's go to the first slide. Oh, it's not up yet. So let's, let's I've got a, a uh, yay. So there's the title of the series. Um, uh, God has plans to prosper you. Turn to the person next and say, God wants to prosper you. Wow. You know, because we love it on our fridge magnets, but we don't always think about what it really means. God has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. Let's go to the next slide and we're going to dive into the scriptures together. And I'm going to use this first story to bring out something in us to help us understand where we're at with regards money. And it's this wonderful story from the book of John. And really, it's about abundance versus scarcity, Do you have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality? Do you have a poverty mentality or a prosperity mentality? Are you Jesus, you're gonna know the answer now, or are you Judas? Right, so we're going to read this. Uh, Well, I'll read this one to you because it's quite long. And let's just get a point from it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reading at the table, reclining even at the table with him. Uh, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. If I took a, a bottle of perfume that I told you this morning was worth 20,000 pounds and I'd pay for it out of church finances. Thanks, mum, again. And I say, guys, I just really feel this morning is an act of worship. This is worth 20,000 pounds. We're just going to smash it on the, on the floor let the perfume fill the room and just worship Jesus and say, Jesus, that's what you're worth to us. Yeah. What would your heart do? Jesus said, don't worry about the poor, worship. It's not, not always worry about the poor, but in the context of this, worship. Jesus had an abundance mentality. In other words, there's plenty more where that came from. Whereas I don't know about you, do you want to know my response? Would have been, what are you doing? <laughs> How much Judas is in all of us? Come on, work with me. See, this identifies where we think things are, are, are at. If we panic over a moment of extravagance that was beautiful and that Jesus, the son of God, approved and said was the right thing to do. If we panic because we've given away something and now this is what scarcity people do. If I give away that, I won't have anything left. But we have a God who's able to take a jar of oil and have it so it doesn't run out. The more you give, the more is in there. He can take loaves and fishes and every time you divide them and give away, they become more. God doesn't have a scarcity mentality. He has an abundance mentality. So what do we have? Now, this kind of story challenges me to my core, that my reaction, probably, if we were to really do it, we all nod at the story like it's a fairy tale. But if we were to really do it, you see, to someone who's got a poverty mindset, worship is a waste. To some, it's a waste of money. Can't wait to get on with the word and then we can get on and do some stuff. They don't understand the waste of worship because they think I've got 70, 80 years in this life. I've got to get stuff to get on with. They don't realise you're going to live forever. When you've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining out the sun, you'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. We've got, I, I sometimes forget generosity is an attitude of heart, right? I think people that aren't generous with finances probably aren't that generous with forgiveness either. Because yeah. forgiveness, I, I, I can give ease, I can let people off. I can release people from things. Generosity is a heart state. So where's your heart? Are you more Judas than Jesus? Over the next few weeks, let's shuffle from Judas to Jesus. Is that okay? Let's just begin to stretch our thinking together because the Bible talks about wealth a lot. And who knows that, you know, As I can't remember who said this, but I've been poor and I've been rich and, you know, you can do both, but I know which one is easier. Right? I was thinking of a comedian that finished the end differently. But anyway, yes, Paul, if you want it. Um, uh, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not about to run out. Can you put the next picture up? I love that. God's a God of abundance. Scarcity people think he's about to run out of grace, like grace is a brook that you put your cup into. And I wonder if he's got the capacity to forgive me again today. It's the the 20th time I've done that this month, and I'm coming back for forgiveness again. And yet I think God's grace is like an ocean up to your neck in the goodness of God. I think God's healing is abundant. He doesn't run out. We have a, a scarcity mentality, but he has an abundance mentality. God's wealth. He is not about to run out of finances. God is not your bank balance. God is bigger than your bank balance, amen. He's greater than your earnings. He's bigger than your boss. If your boss is Jehovah Jireh to you, you're in trouble. Don't make your boss your provider. God is your provider. And if we can just learn to open and crack open some windows of heaven and realize it's not just my paycheck, it's not just my benefits, it's not just my pension, but God is my provider. Maybe I can creak open some windows there, creak open some, and let abundance come into my life. And we'll learn why he would want to do that as we go along. So does God want you to be wealthy? Why should we just read some scriptures? Let's do it. Okay, God's view of wealth. Next slide. I'm just going to read these to you. You can read some of them with me as we get to some shorter ones. And let's just do an overview, just a few of the 2,000 scriptures on wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord your God, listen to this, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. That's that's them speaking about coming into the promised land and you're saying guys God gives you the ability to produce wealth. Yeah. Wow. All our heroes, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all the Bible uses words like very rich. Yeah. Say very rich. very rich. Feels weird on your lips, doesn't it? There you go. Deuteronomy 28. And this is the the wonderful chapter about blessings and curses if you obey and disobey. Listen to this. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, carefully follow all his commands I give you today. The Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord, your God. And if we jump to verse 11, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, being an agricultural nation, that would be their, 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 their wealth. Uh, livestock and crops in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you Uh, further on in that scripture it says you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none do you know God's ultimate heart as we grow to maturity in him is that you become the lender not the borrower because the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender so you're supposed to be so blessed it says of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they got so much blessing that things like their neighbours would envy them and their, en- their enemies would envy them. That's what the Bible says the people of God are supposed to be like. Let's go to the next slide. God's view of wealth. Continue. Deuteronomy 8, 7. And he talks about bringing them into a land of, of wonderful things, fig trees and pomegranates and honey and all these kinds of things. And uh, verse 12, I'm going to speed ahead. Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and here's a warning in here, when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, because he's saying that's what's going to happen when I bless you, and everything you have is multiplied, verse 14, here's the warning, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. In other words, I'm going to bless you in, in the land. So here, be careful. Because I'm going to multiply you so much, it could be a danger to you. The the tone of all of scripture, if you take all of it, is this. I want to bless you. You you might have moments of need. The apostle says, I know what it is to abound. I know what it is to abase. In other words, to have much and to have nothing. I, I know how to do both those things. I can be content. So there's moments when he was bobbing in a storm in the seas. Okay, and he had nothing. But the overall tone of all of scripture beginning to end is this. I want to bless you. And that includes within it wealth so that you can be generous. Yeah. I want to bless you so much. You have to be careful. Now, the other tone of scripture is this. But if you're not going to be careful, you're better off being poor. Because yeah. <laughs> it's that dangerous. All right. But he wants to bring you wealth and blessing. Amen. Uh, uh, next uh, slide please Wealth in Psalms and Proverbs Psalm 100 12 verse 1. Shall we read this together? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Let's read Proverbs 3.9. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 8.18. Let me read this one because it's a bit more involved. This is wisdom talking. If you get wisdom, see, if you go after wealth, you end up in trouble. But if you go after the kingdom and after wisdom, you end up in blessing. Okay? So it's not about having a greedy heart. It's about having a God-fearing, God-seeking heart. And and the, the, the result of that is the blessing of wealth. This is wisdom talking. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Amen. Wow. Amen. Proverbs 10:15. the wealth of the rich is a fortified city. Go to the next slide, please. Again, continued wealth in Psalms and Proverbs. Let me read them to make them quick. The blessing of the Lord Brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The wealth of the wise is a crown. The Lord, humility and the fear of the Lord brings wealth and honor and life. That's the Old Testament. Should we do a little bit anew? Go to the next slide. Wealth in the New Testament. And my God, come on, we know it will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. Can you say abound? Abound. I like words like that. Abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. 1 Timothy 6.17, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This, there's, there's loads. Um, here we go. There's loads in the Bible uh, about wealth and the riches of heaven, meaning financial provision flowing into and flowing out of your life. Take yourself to the life of Jesus for a moment. Let's talk about Jesus and wealth. Some people kind of think that Jesus was destitute and, and poor and all that kind of stuff. Um, can I just correct that a little? Jesus was a Jew. I shouldn't need to add anything to that statement. If you know, if you know anything about church history, if you know anything about uh, the history of the world, Jesus was a Jew You know when the Bible says train a child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it? The context there is money. Jews talk about money and teach about money a lot. And because of the Abrahamic covenant, right back to the beginning when God, as part of his relationship with them, said, and you'll be wealthy, wealth will come your way because I want you to be a blessing in the earth, okay? Okay. Uh, I remember living in Gibraltar, it was the Jews that really blessed us. It really helped us in some ways as a church and as a family. Uh, there, There are things that are in Jewish culture that if we fully grasp them, we would begin to understand Jesus was not destitute. When he said to people things like, sell everything you've got, it was to get to the heart of a problem, which was the problem of the heart. So what you need to do to fix your heart is do some giving and it'll adjust something in your heart. But actually the whole tone of scripture is that the people of God should have a measure of the kingdom's wealth flowing through their lives. So let's go to the nativity and think of Jesus for a minute. What did the wise men bring him? So these wise men, we don't know that it was three. It could have been two. It could have been 20. We don't know. But they turn up to this little Jewish businessman and Jewish girl that was giving birth in a stable, not because they were poor, but because there was no room in the inn. And they bring them gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now they give gold, frankincense and myrrh to a Jewish family. Now, unlike us who would go and buy a bigger TV, This Jewish businessman, Joseph, would have invested it. He would have bought some more fields and rented them back to farmers. He would have extended his business. He would have invested it so that in the years to come, the family would have more and more. This was a Jewish family. They were savvy with finances. They were wise about finances. You sit around a Jewish table, they're going to be saying, don't you go buying a brand new car? It loses 20% the moment you buy drive off the garage with it, you buy a one-year-old car. A Jew would tell you, don't be going, getting loans for loads of stuff. You get a loan for a, for, for a house, that's fine, because there's value in the house. Get a, get a loan to leverage a business and move a business forward, that's fine, because you're going to make money, but don't go taking out loads of loans. Why? We're supposed to be the lenders, not the borrowers. There was a wisdom around the table, and they would have been growing in wisdom all the time. Now, tradition tells us that Joseph would have uh, probably was dead by the time Jesus was going into his ministry at around 30. So he was now the head man of the household. Jesus was not poor or destitute. He had finances. Um, firstly, everywhere he went, at least 80 staff went with him. Can you say entourage? He took an entourage everywhere. Now, do you think that was cheap? When we did Doncaster Dome, we took about 80 staff members. We all went over and we stayed for one night in the glorious Campanile Hotel. And we looked after, in a a fairly frugal way, actually, 80 staff for a day and a half, essentially. It cost us £3,000 to look after 80 people for a day and a half. Jesus did that for three and a half years. He had had, uh, noble women from Herod's household traveling with him because they also put into the coffers. In fact, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, do you remember what he said? Do you remember the story? So there's 5,000 men and then there's women and there's children. So let's say conservatively, there's at least 15,000 people there. And the disciples are saying, you need to send them away so they can go and eat. It's getting late. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And so they, you can imagine the disciples getting back together and kind of, what have we got? A few loaves, you know, they've nicked a packed lunch off one poor kid and they bring it to the, to the saviour and kind of, this is, this is all we've got. Uh, and this is what they said to him. Unless you want us to go and buy food. You mean they had enough money on them to pay for lunch for 15,000 people? Yes. In fact, there was so much money, Jesus didn't ever stop Judas embezzling from the, from the money thing because he had an abundance mentality. He says, it's irrelevant. Let let him take, we've got enough. And even if we don't, I'll just open the mouth of a fish and pay my taxes. He had an abundance mentality. So who was Jesus really? He was a man that he came from a business family and they had wealth so that he was able to fund this ministry and touch lives all across the Galilean countryside. Jesus was not poor. Look at what Jesus says about wealth. Go to the next verse up there. Um, let's just do the bottom verse, Luke six thirty-eight: Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The top verse talks about being responsible with finances. And if you're responsible with finances, then God can put you in charge of much. Amen. Jesus spoke to uh, some and he, he talked about it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And all the disciples, many of whom were businessmen, said, well, how can anyone be saved then? Because these are men with businesses. How can anyone be saved if it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, yeah, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, I can touch the heart. Right? And then he went on and he said the next verse. If you go to the next slide, he says this. Um, Whoever's given up houses or brothers or sisters or mothers, verse 30, says, will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Do you like the next bit? Put it on the fridge along with persecutions. And in the age to come. So that's now in this life. You give up a house now, you're going to get houses in return along with persecutions and (laughs) joy of joys. You're all smiling at me this morning. Uh, And in the age to come, eternal life. I've got a section here that I'm not going to do because we've run out of time about poverty. Do you know that poverty is never a blessing in the Bible? It's a curse. It's always something to be blessed out of. Do you know what I mean? If you're poor, he wants to lift up the poor. He never says that's a good place to be. He always says, let me lift you out of it. And if we bless the poor with the wealth that God gives us, he says, do that. And it's like you're lending to me. Let's look after the poor. Let's lift the poor. But he never says, we should be poor. The Bible is full of scriptures that says, if you live with wisdom, I will allow wealth to flow into your life. Amen. You know, in a church family like ours, this is a bit anecdotal now, but there might be five, 10, 20 people that walk around. And you might know them because you might have come on to the nice end of this. They'll walk around with a brown envelope. May come up to you one Sunday. And was just praying about you the other day. And they just give you a little envelope, 50 quid in it. Sometimes 100, sometimes 500. I know people in this room that have given others cars and bought each other's, you know, paid for rent and bought each other shopping on a certain week. Can you imagine if we go to the next slide? Can you imagine if not just 10 or 20 people had the, let's not talk about heart state for a moment because that's we're going to go to there in the next couple of weeks, but had the financial capacity to be such a blessing. Would you, in your lifetime, like to give a few cars to people? Do you want the revelation? You've got to have a few cars to give. Would you like to pay off someone's mortgage? You need a lot of money in the bank to do that. Do we want to build some church buildings and build some schools and send some missionaries around the world? The church needs finances to do that do you want to get to when your child is reaching that kind of driving age and you kind of think oh I so want to buy such and such a car because they're reaching that age and you're you know you're trying to teach them to save for it but then you realize how much the insurance costs (laughs) (laughs) who knows that it takes wealth to be a blessing Right? You are, can you imagine instead of 10 or 15 people that have got everything I'm talking about today who stroll around going you know I was thinking about you or I noticed this and they just they give 100, 500, 000 pound gift out, they're in this room can you imagine if it was 100 of us? Can you imagine if 200 of us there's over 600 members in Revived Church can you imagine if 300 members had the financial capacity to walk up to young mums and say, I'm going to pay your rent for this quarter. Or I know you've just lost your job. Here's something. What this place would be like. Do you want to know what it would be like? Be like the book of Acts. These well-known scriptures go for the underlying bits behind me. It is a mark of revival to have fields to be able to sell to have houses to be able to give up. They met from house to house. Don't think everybody everywhere has to give up houses. God wants you to have a house yeah. to give away sometime. A, a, a church was going through a building project. It's just just the other week I heard this and somebody had said to, to one of our guys, oh, so-and-so selling their house to be able to give 100,000 into the building fund. And I just said, yeah, but their culture's a bit different. They all own lots of houses. See, we've not got a very big business culture as a church. It's quite common for people to have two, four, six, eight houses, be renting them out. So when somebody says, I'm going to sell a house and give the finances to the kingdom, or I'm going to pay or I'm going to give a house to someone, it's having the sustenance, the, the capability to be able to do it. So I want to stretch you this morning. Does God, I'm going to say the really crude phrase does God want you to be wealthy I believe yes he does doesn't mean we won't go through moments that are really tight and sacrificial when you write checks that are really painful but you've got to have the money in the bank to write those checks is your heart an abundant heart or a scarcity heart I guess by the quietness in here this morning this is challenging Here's a thought, and this is our ending thought. Um, in 2007, Vicky and I bought a house. That's the, the one we're in right now. We bought a house. And it was a, 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 a good stretch and a good challenge for us to buy a house. And then Vicky turned 30 that year. And so I said to Vicky, Vicky, it's your 30th birthday, 2007. Um, what do you want to do? Oh, I'd love to spend... My birthday in New York. Oh, right, I said with a smile on my face. But inside, I was feeling like you're feeling right now. How the heck is that going to happen? So I went back to God say, God, um, you know this wife you gave me? <laughs> um, we've just bought a house and I'm really grateful for that. But scarcity mentality thinks it's about to run out, you see. So we kind of go so far, but We we kind of set our lines. What do we think we're worth? What do we think is appropriate? Smash a bottle of perfume on the floor. It's time to get inappropriate in God. I went to God and said, God, uh, we just bought a house. And so uh, there's a lot of money. Um, And now she wants to go to New York. This wife you gave me for her birthday and I've looked at it on the internet and it's a lot more than going to Butlins <laughs> could you change your heart Lord <laughs> no, not, I, I didn't pray that I said God what am I going to do God said this to me says do you want to be good to her yes I do Where do you think I want to be good to you so you can be good to her That's all I needed to hear. We booked it. Somehow, one of those things, you know, with with money in God's hands, you don't know how it stretches, but it stretched. And it all happened. and We had a great time in New York. Do you think God wants to be good to you? And do you think God wants to be good to you to be good to others? I was struck just in the last, uh, I think it was yesterday sometime, I was meditating on the story of the prodigal son. You've got the younger son, Takes all the wealth. Off he goes and squanders it. He comes back into the arms of a loving father. There's celebration, there's joy, there's hugs, there's a party. Then you get the miserable older brother. Scarcity mentality brother. Judas brother. Poverty mentality brother. Comes back and says, what are you doing having a party? He's just squandered all the wealth. And Jesus has given us a picture of our heavenly father. And the father says to the elder son, he said, Everything I have is yours. You've just never taken it. The son had gone, I've worked so hard for you and I've never asked for a thing. And the father looks at him as if, well, that's wrong. What is all of this to you? I've worked hard for you and I've never asked for a thing. That's not what God wants. Everything I have is yours, is what he's saying. You're my son's. Just like God wants a man to be kind to his wife and treat her. God looks at everyone in this room today and says, you're my children. Would you let me bless you? Everything I have is yours. I believe God is going to break a poverty spirit off this church. God is not just a debt counsellor. God is a get debt counsellor. He just wipes it out. Let's stand together in the presence of God. God has the capacity to wipe out debt. I'm not saying that all debt is always bad, but who knows? Anybody here like me, you've done some dumb stuff in your time. You've ended up bad decisions, shiny things in shiny shops. And you end up in uncontrolled debt. Silly debt. Let's just close our eyes in God's presence. I want you to think. I know it's a heart-stretching thing that I'm talking about this morning. If you think it's hard to hear, can you imagine how hard it is to preach? Because how misunderstood this could be. But I'm hit this morning by the love of God for every one of you. Poverty is a restricting curse. Scarcity is a restriction. God wants you to have so that you can be blessed and be a blessing.